podcast this week, we say all right, all right, all right to Matthew McConaughey as he pops by the talk gold, while we also say all right, all right, all right to Ang Lee. And he just stares at us and goes, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not Matthew McConaughey, I'm Ang Lee, director of Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. What are you doing? You can't ad lib during the intro, Chris. This is nuts. Uh, all that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I dreamt about snakes last night. Snakes everywhere on a place called Snake Island. Terrifying. There is a place called Snake Island, isn't there? There is a place called Snake Island. So in my dream, I uh, I was taking my drinking game partner, my wife, right, to right. on holiday. Okay, yeah. and we were going to Singapore, and we were very, very excited about it. And the, the travel company had booked us a stopover in a, a hotel called Snake Island. No, and I was showing it to people in the office here. And this is how bad my dream was. You guys were in it as well. Oh no, and, and we were going, hey, Snake Island. That can't be a real place. So we got into our room, and it was crawling with snakes. And we were like, they're not venomous, right? And then I saw a pit viper, and I was like, I'd like to move rooms, please. You, you know a pit viper by sight. Sight. I do. Wow. Yeah. You know your enemy, Helen. If right. it's one thing recent events have taught us, <laughs> know your enemy. Anyway, enough about snakes. Time Thank for God. the proper introduction. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is in association with mustard.co.uk, the insurance comparison site that helps you save time, money, and effort. I like saving all three of those things, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is the quiet poddle. Our Ferio and George Harrison look alike. It's not just that he looks like George Harrison, though. There's something in the way he moves. <laughs> I'm not going to finish that sentence. Is, the way his guitar, <laughs> is it the way his guitar gently weeps all the time? It is. Look at this. Just look at him just sitting there with his guitar gently weeping. It's, <laughs> it's oozing pus. You should get that scene too, mate. Ew. It's John Nugent. I forgot the name. I don't know. Uh, last but not least, you've already heard her. Uh, it's our geek queen. A lady who also dreamt about snakes last night, I'm reliably informed, but of the shirtless Winchester variety, no doubt. Wasn't it Helen O'Hara? No. No? What? No. No? Ew. No? No. Really? Definitely. Okay. Uh, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. uh, Supernatural is back on TV, so obviously that's all. What season is this now? 14, 15, 16? Uh, Are the old men fighting demons? 1700, yeah. (laughs) 1700. It's 12. 12. Season 12. 12 seasons. And they have been renewed for season 13. No way! But to, to just to show how timely this show is, yeah. in this season so far... Are they fighting right, a hair demon? Well, <laughs> kind of. Um, there's been a plot to resurrect Hitler, uh-huh. and the what? President of the United States has been, I'm not kidding, possessed by Lucifer. So I'm just saying, like it's, it's a very relevant show. It's sort wow. of John Stewart, but with knives. Ooh. Okay, before we get into the podcast proper, we are going live, people. We are going live. Our 200 and... Oh, my God. <laughs> to the shelter! <laughs> the, the bombs are falling! I knew it was only a matter of time. It's not a surprise. Okay. Uh, our 250th episode is coming up. This is 248, I hope. Otherwise, <laughs> we've really screwed this up. Uh, and we're going live at the Prince Charles Cinema once again in the heart of London's bustling Soho. Um, we're going to have some great guests, Yay. I hope. Yeah, we are. We're going to have some amazing spot prizes. Uh, John, can you remind me to go through my drawer and just pick out any old shit that's just lying around there? That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, And we're going to have a whole lot of fun. Fun. Fun with a bunch of giggling idiots. And of course, we couldn't do it without you guys in attendance. Well, we could, but it It would just be... It would be weird. It would be sad, really. Sad and embarrassing. Failing Empire podcast. Can't attract too many people to its live show. Sad. Loser. Loser. 
fake movie news hashtag uh, so do come and join us some tickets are still available I'm reliably informed uh, so do head over to the Prince Charles Cinema website um, and we'll be tweeting out links and all sorts of stuff as well uh, and come and join the fun it's going to be it's going to be really really cool 250th episode it is about 248 more than I thought we'd do so I'm pretty pretty excited by that yeah if, you, if you'd known the bumbling that you know, <laughs> was going on in oh, order to get okay. us in for episode one. They've, they're listening to us. They know the bumbling. <laughs> I'd like to think the bumbling has a patina of professionalism now. Aww. <laughs> That's what I like about you, Chris. You're an optimist. <laughs> so anyway. That's not my business card. <laughs> professional bumbler. This is how professional I am. I'm talking about the live show. I forgot to tell people where and when it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's February uh, 15th. Yes. February 15th. Wednesday. Uh, it's at 630 I've mentioned the Prince John Cinema already, so that's enough of that. Uh, so do come along to that. It's going to mm. be a lot of fun. It's a, it makes a great Valentine's Day present, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you are someone who is an absolutely terrible human being and you've forgotten to get a Valentine's Day gift for your loved one, uh, this will be a, a terrible consolation prize. Have you got a Valentine's Day gift for your wife yet? We don't really tend to do that. It sounds like something a terrible human being would say. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't uh, really... Uh, I mean, we'll probably do something. We'll probably go for a meal or something. But so maybe you'll be spending it writing the live podcast script. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. He'll be doing that on the fifteenth. Yeah, I'll be yeah. doing that on the fifteenth on the way before. to the Prince Charles Cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything. That is definitely going to be the case. No, but uh, you know, listen. I'm such a romantic. Every day is Valentine's Day around my place. Oh. which means no days of Valentine's Day as well. Draw your own conclusions. Uh, okay, should we have a question? Yes. Sure. Okay, so this is a question from Twitter. This is from Chip Thompson. It's an amazing name. Uh, at Thompson underscore film is his Twitter handle, and he asks: Considering the delight that was Garth Jennings. Uh, we've had a lot of people writing in to praise Garth Jennings for being awesome on the podcast he, when he sat in the other week, and rightly so, because he was amazing. Uh, which other guest hosts would you like on the podcast? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Just throwing this one out. You guys weren't prepared for this. Mm. Mm. Well, my mind immediately goes towards The Rock, I think. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to have The Rock on the podcast? There wouldn't be enough room for The Rock. <laughs> Not in we'd this need, We'd need a bigger booth. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, sure. we really would. Yeah. yeah. He'd be great. He'd be awesome. He'd be awesome. Uh, I don't, I, you know, would he get the podcast? I, or would he just stare in bafflement at us as we droned on about human centipedes? <laughs> as I droned on about human yeah, centipedes. Yeah, Chris, come on. Yes. Um, okay, I, know, so I, think is, he'd, I think he'd be in with, he'd be down with it. Are, yeah. we, are we thinking, like, realistically then? We want someone who would Realistically, we can get the rock. The, okay, yeah, we could get the rock. But you're saying he wouldn't necessarily get our sense of humour? No, I think he would. Okay. But would he like us? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Can we risk it? Yeah, Can that's, we? that's oh, the God. thing. I've met him and I think he likes me. I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm not so sure he did, John. I'm pretty sure. He gave me a bottle of tequila. Nah, you're a he slow called br- me his good mate. So, you know. He called me his best bud. Yeah. He wants... No. No, you got nothing. That's okay. I did. You got nothing. It's fine. But I... No, it's fine. He's my good friend. He isn't, though, is he? I, I interviewed... I did a press conference with him once. <laughs> And if I recall at the end of it, he said, you are my very best friend. <laughs> I'm going to help you mend your broken heart. Wow. No, wait, that's the lyrics of that Keith Harrison Orville song. So close, though. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, He'd be awesome. I mean, my, my big 
person I've always wanted to interview and have not yet done so is Steven Spielberg. Um, mm. But I don't know if we want him in the podcast because, you know, he's like Steven Spielberg and we'd have to be, you know. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be a distance between someone like Spielberg. You know, he needs yeah. that sort of mythical quality. Although that, maybe that he's hilarious. If we started, but maybe he's hilarious, and we're just not giving jokes. him a chance. He could be hilarious. He produced Animaniacs. That's true. Yeah. And by the way, if you if I, if I can recommend something for a second, if uh-huh. you look up um, pitch meeting for Animaniacs on uh-huh. Google, it's on a website called The Toast. It's a, a transcript of what must have gone down in the pitch meeting for uh, the TV show Animaniacs back in the 90s. And it is one of the funniest things I have ever read. It made me c- literally cry laughing, and I can't recommend it highly enough. So Sorry. that's The Toast? The Toast. Okay. Pitch meeting Animaniacs. <laughs> All right. So Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, so Spielberg, but but maybe also not Spielberg. Um Ooh, I don't know. We want some fun people. Maybe. Mm-hmm. All right, we know that James McAvoy is a geek, and we don't really give him enough of a chance to kind of fly his geek flag high. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, we're going to be talking about Dune in a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's a big nerd for that, for example. Mm-hmm. So that might be kind of fun. Yeah, we are going to be talking about that. Yes, so James McAvoy. Yeah. Good, good, good. Steven Spielberg, The Rock. It's an obvious one, but what about Jason Isaacs? Jason I mean, Isaacs would be great, but can we can we go there? I mean, he has been on the podcast before, obviously, podcast but before. I do feel that there's another podcast that has ownership of him. There is no other podcast. I think there is, Helen. I uh, looked it up. It's something about... Um, we're the only ones, aren't we? Yeah. No, no, no. no. It's us and, one film podcast. Yeah, it's us and West Wing Weekly and basically no other podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. No other podcasts. Um, that's so weird. I could have sworn there was a podcast. This guy, this red DJ, no. and this doctor. No. Like, what would a doctor be doing reviewing films? Yeah, exactly. well, yeah. And they just witter on about entertainment. No. Have I well, made that up? I think we're the only ones who witter. I'll tell you who would be great in this podcast. Who's that? Simon Mayo and Mark Arnold. <laughs> yeah. They could really take us over the top, though. That would be great. <laughs> they really could. They could get us at the, our viewing. The, our viewing? Our listening to the double figures. The way we, we just really need that. Yeah, just, they, not just like on. co-hosts, but like total hosts. They, total hosts. Completely hosted the whole thing. If they hosted the whole thing, <laughs> and if they had guests, I don't know if they reviewed movies, and yeah. they, you know... And this they, is really coming together. And then... We could put it on a national radio station. And if they wanted every now and again to take a break and they wanted someone to come in and do a guest hosting... They They could get Jason Isaacs. They could get Jason Isaacs, they could get David Morrissey, they could get Robbie Collins, Boyd Hilton, they could get Boyd Hilton in. We could have a nice break. Wow, this is all coming together. Let's be honest, this podcast has become a bit of a shackle. It really has. (laughs) It's become a a weight around our necks, dragging us down. Every week, I have to get the tube on a Thursday morning and come up with a a Winchester-related thing for you. (laughs) Something for John about episode. uh, Season twelve, Helen. For the love of God, (laughs) if it was a six-season show, maybe I could get into it. But twelve seasons. You can start a rewatch. It's not too late. I've got the DVDs and the forty-five-minute episodes. (laughs) Forty-four. Twenty-three episode season. (laughs) Twenty-two. Okay, then. At least in the later seasons, I think. So I just I just think that maybe uh, we just reach out to these guys and see, hey Simon, hey Doctor Mark, come on in, do your thing. Well, I'm definitely going to just just type that one up here on my <laughs> invisible typewriter <laughs> and pin it to my invisible ideas board. 
and okay. uh, and there we go. There. That looks real good. It, it looks it, real good. It, in there. it does. Yeah. So that's good. That's taken care of. But realistically, seriously, because this is something we've started doing now. We started. We did it with Noel Clark, mm. and we uh, did it with Garth Jennings. Both of whom were excellent. It's something that we will be doing hopefully again down the line. Um, so to keep people, I mean, there's tons of people I'd love to have in the show as a guest host. I mean, obviously. The guy who holds a record for most podcast appearances, Simon Pegg, he'd be he'd be yeah. fantastic. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger would be amazing. Batman would be amazing. You know, it's just there's <laughs> Lego tons. Batman. Lego Batman would be would be very very fun indeed. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just you know keeping keeping peeled. Yeah. Watch this space. Do, do let us know if there's anybody yeah. in particular that you would absolutely love because we will try our best. Yeah, it's not something we're going to do all the time. No, but just because it's you know, really difficult. It's to difficult. Organize their and, schedules. Yeah. And also, it feels weird asking in a weird way, you know, people who actually work in the film industry to talk about other people's films. Uh, But, you know, hey, it's not going to stop us. Right. So that's your question. Uh, And if you want to have a question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so by tweeting us. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook also as Empire Magazine. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.co. M. Okay, time now for our first guest. He is one of the greatest directors in the world with an eclectic CV taking in everything from quiet dramas to swashbuckling martial arts and superhero action and all with a wit and worldly wisdom that sets him apart from many of his peers. He is, of course, the great Ang Lee. He's back next week with Billy Lynn's long halftime walk and he was in town recently and spoke to Phil DeSimlin. Enjoy. Ang Lee, welcome to the Empire Podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you on um, to talk about Billy, Ling, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. Um, first question really is, is what was it? This, this is a book, uh, a story about um, the kind of ramifications of the Iraq war in America. And it's a very American story again for you. But I wonder what it was that was most personal in the book, in the source material for you. Um, it's kind of existential. Uh, it has a vivid description of how a young soldier experienced his first firefight and then somehow, willingly or unwillingly, he become the hero, get awarded. And 2004, that's a particularly bad year for the war, it's very unpopular. People, everybody started to get the yeah. idea it's a terrible war. Um, and the story is they, they're taken back to the to the States and do a victory tour, sort of boost morale. And the climax is the the essential story of the story. It's the one day they're in the uh, Texas football uh, stadium celebrating Thanksgiving uh, Day. And in the climax, they were put on stage and serenaded by... Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. <laughs> and then it's the one day process of what's in his head and what he makes of everything. And at the end of the day, he got to decide where he's going, what his fate is. It's a coming of age story to me, really, with the backdrop of war, both sides of the war. Uh, what really attracts me is on one side, you have the, the actual war they experience. And on the other side, you have the civilian's projection. Yeah. Yeah. Why they go to war is because the countrymen, <laughs> the complexity, but nobody's talking about. They celebrate a soldier. Yeah. The disoriented feeling they have, uh, alienation they have, and a horrific experience where you're at the center of that celebration. Uh, so that's that irony uh, really got to me. I think it's a, 
hilariously uh, cynical, yeah, uh, satirical, and on the other hand, it's a poignant, uh, heartfelt. Uh, Human story. Yeah. yeah. Well, an, an interesting um, sub t- subplot to the to the story is is that they this this unit at the uh, massive American football game have uh, Chris Tucker who's like trying to facilitate a movie deal for them all. Um, and there's a very funny moment. The story. <laughs> yeah, there's a very funny moment when he's on the phone to some Hollywood types and and they come back with the idea that that, that Billy, who's obviously a man, would be played by Hillary Swank, Hillary Swank, <laughs> who's obviously not a man. Um, and and the guys in the in the you know, find this very funny. Now, you told me that 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 you actually spoke to Hillary Swank or had contact I with her. We have there was Count Atticus, Yeah, she wants to play. Uh, it's actually a joke, the in joke. Yes, yeah, so Billy look at it at the end. He look at himself in the mirror when everything's over. Uh, he sees uh, Hillary Swank so, uh, wink at him. Yeah, uh, in, in uniform. Uh, I think it was a joke. <laughs> Maybe it's just a low blow for her. I don't know. She yeah. didn't come back with anything. No, you didn't well, hear back. Oh, I didn't hear anything back. <laughs> oh, well, do you think that would have, you would have put that in the movie if she had said yes? Oh, yeah, that would be lovely. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. No, oh, that's a shame. Um, Steve Martin is is in this movie playing the the, the, the owner of, the proprietor of the of the football club. He's a big kind of Texan, big personality. Mm-hmm. It's a very straight role for Steve Martin. And he hasn't done... So many, like he's done, you know, no, Spanish prisoner one, yeah, 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 that's like the only one I'm aware of. Um, but he's a good actor, yeah. Do, um, you, do you think he's he should have had more dramatic opportunities? Does he just frustrated that he I hasn't? I think so, yeah. Um, he's a you know, good actor, but uh, we all know him for a comedian and he works so brilliantly, <laughs> yeah. Are you a fan of Saturday Night Live and his work? Oh, all of his work. He used to be a favorite kind of thing. I just love those movies he did. Yeah. There's one period is like one funnier movie than the other. Do you have a favorite of his? One of my favorite is um, is L.A. Story. Right. The English lover driving on the wrong side of the street. (laughs) L.A. Story was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, That's just one of them. Uh, Yeah, many, many movies. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. But thinking of him playing a serious role, a fatherly figure, uh, nearly a villain. Yeah. Uh, that was a fresh idea. Uh, I, I got excited about it. And he's Texan. Of course, he is yeah. Texan, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, he know that world. Yeah. He wants to play the part. It's all good. You haven't obviously made a sequel in your career, um, but there has been a sequel of one of your films. Um, Crouching Tiger, no. Hidden Dragon, of course. Have you seen it? What did you think when you found no. out they were making it? Did you have a, a curiosity about it? It's the well, sword bless of destiny. Them. I have nothing to do with the movie. I haven't have not seen it. I, I deliberately don't want to see it. <laughs> uh, they do their thing. It's a sequel to the um, to the books. Is a five volume um, a series. I took the number four. Okay. Um, I think they did a combination. They got the book books right and do a combination of anything. But I think in terms of style, I don't think it's, you know, it's a movie. It's related to the movie I did. It's just something else. But the characters has continuity and so on and so forth. I, I didn't see it. I couldn't. It was down by my friend. Bless them. <laughs> Mr. Yuan Hoping, who's a dear friend of mine, and Michelle, of course. Yeah. Um, um, I think uh, 
for a lot of people, a favorite Ang Lee film is obviously Sense and Sensibility, um, which uh, is is a fantastic sort of collaboration creatively between you and Emma Thompson. Um, are you are you two still quite close? Do you still see each other quite a lot, or? Yeah, not not a lot, but good friends. Yeah, really care for each other, uh, care about each other. Uh, when we have a chance, we meet and catch up and all that. Whether she goes to New York or I come here, but not a trip like this. No, no, a sure. Day busy <laughs> doing my. Thing. Yeah, of course. I I understand that her first draft of the script was three hundred and fifty pages. Um, I never saw did, that. Did you not version. see that? No, and handwritten as well. <laughs> Um, tell me um, that was a great script though. it was a, yeah, yeah. yeah it was a great script um, the, the one I read not the 350 I've <laughs> never seen that it's probably great too <laughs> <laughs> that's longer than the book I think isn't it potentially yeah it was longer than the book yeah uh, the book is probably not 100 300 pages no, no. okay yeah. well, what's your favourite memory from, from the shoot of Sens- Sensibility what, what do you what do you sort of what comes to mind first when you think about that time I went through a couldn't show it a lot of pain because I was very nervous that was my first English job yeah uh, my first uh, major league production cast crew alike uh, and it was Jen Austin my first period piece as well um, so it was nerve wracking for me I was very nervous and back then I spoke uh, broken English so what I can manage to tell them what I think sometimes it's just words that hurts. But two two blanks. <laughs> do blank. Uh, you do better, or or that was nerdy, or or um, that was quite comical actually. But that after I did that movie, if I could do that movie, anything could happen with movies. Right. Um, but of course, I I got, it was quite an education. I got a lot of help. No, um, particular from Emma, I think they all have um, the the production designer was very helpful. No, she took me under her arm and taught me a lot. Who visit museum and reading, and I, I got to learn how to do period piece from custom to edicts and everything. Uh, a lot of artless. Actually, I stayed here for six months prior to. Yeah to shooting a movie just to get myself uh, prepared but my, my English was poor back then I, I the content of the movie the taste of it I was very familiar with that's yeah. why I was hired except the texture was uh, frightening and the working condition not because of hostility because of unfamiliarity yeah uh, but it's it's workable you know it takes a long time and then it's a collaboration um, uh, this is a, 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 overall, it, it took like three weeks into shooting, maybe even six weeks, when it finally gets on the road. I yeah. feel, start to feel comfortable, uh, and I was doing my thing. The, the, my favorite moment, um, if I pick one, it would be when I direct the dancing scene. Yes, it was surreal. Uh, we're shooting the double cube in the room where the location they shot Barry Lyndon. Really? Yeah, no, Kubrick's my. That's not my favorite movie of his, but it's, no. Yes. Kubrick. He's okay, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're in a shooting where they shot Barry Lyndon. Mm. Um, and then 
at night in the middle of the you know we have to shoot overnight it's a night shoot when I went out I saw all these people in custom I was teaching them English ethics and dancing I was directing it as a middle of the night I was in the the bridge with the Grecian temple and the bridge and the as a location yeah in the Barry Linden world yeah and with all the cousins what was I doing I'm <laughs> a boy from Taiwan how did I get to do this it's an outer body experience that, that was one moment I remember um, uh, many great moments in, in making that movie directing yeah. the young Kate working with Emma yeah uh, of course it's Hugh and I just saw Hugh Laurie yesterday Really? He has a part in the movie. Really? It was yeah. so great to see him. Yeah. And of course, uh, God bless um, Alan, the great Alan Rickman. Mm. Uh, oh, wonderful. Uh, what do you remember? Imelda Stalton. You know, I yeah. worked with her again in taking Woodstock. Uh, just brilliant, brilliant English cast. What do you remember about um, Alan? Um, I imagine that he would I don't know you, how did he respond to your blunt direct, direction oh he got the worst ones did he um, what I'm did you? very embarrassed to mention it uh, after the f- one shot after the first take I said I went up to him and said less <laughs> that's it just less <laughs> he, he took it in the second day I went up to say less and the third time, I didn't have the heart to say less, so I said more, and he got irritated. He <laughs> said, can, I, can you not make up your mind? You want less or more? Which way you want to go? I said, do more or less. <laughs> it was that bad. <laughs> but you know why I say other things, other than yes. silly things like that? Yeah. Um, but eventually, when you have a vision, when you know the heart of the material, somehow filmmakers make things work and that's the magic of filmmaking is sight and sound it's beyond cultural barrier if you're diligent enough it's be, I think it's I think we all have something common and every material has something in special you gotta respect both and have them work together and it was to me from that movie I understand to me it was never about I have a fixed idea and dictating it happening it's it's a collaboration people had a lot of it and I have control but more importantly I gotta inspire them the, the material the, my vision even with bad broken language <laughs> I get to pitch to them it, it will go there if you try hard enough and then we all make it happen. I've got to let you go shortly. Last question, though. Um, when you finished um, doing the press for, for Billy Lynn um, and all of this is done, what's the, what's the first thing that you do when the process is finished? Um, you mean when we wrap? When I deliver the film? After or this, after, I t- after the whole, today? The, the film's out in cinemas <laughs> and, and you're free again. What, what do you do? Uh, this... This movie is special because um, I think I touch upon uh, a new media. So this is a beginning cusp of something, and I'm not any younger. Um, so I think I have a lot of pondering to do. Where do I go from here? 
normally when the movie I need to do it because it's in my system I have to get out get it out yeah when the movie is on its way it's everybody's story like um, one of the last lines I put in Life of Pi he said to the writer the story is yours <laughs> I passed along the story yeah it's out of my system now it lives on you you make the story based on whatever you see how you get inspired so it's everybody's story it lived me yeah. Um, I hardly think back. I think back, I have flashbacks about the time when I made it, but the movie itself is, is, is out of my system. Um, I start to think about the next, but usually the next is related to the previous one. One thing leads to the next. I, I don't develop. You know, I just live those different lives. Yeah. So I move on to the next life and take that karma and, and move on. But this one's a little, building's a little different. It, it has a rough start. It's very difficult. It's unlike anything I do. It's more than a story. It's how we perceive drama. And I took that not lightly. And and I got to think about where I go from here. So that's what I will do. I would have taken trip to the pub as well. But <laughs> that's <laughs> best of luck finding, finding the new story. Can't wait to see what it is. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Ang Lee. Thank you. Pleasure. There are too few directors who have both Austin and The Hulk on their resume, I think. There's one, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Which is too few, you know? I mean, Louis Leterrier needs to drink <laughs> Mansfield to, Park. He needs to step up his game and then some, yeah. Louis Leterrier's Mansfield Park would be the greatest film ever made. I guess made. technically, like, Joss Whedon, for example, has The Hulk and Shakespeare. That's true. He does. This is, this is, is, this so, is technically true. It can be done. It can be done. <laughs> I mean, I'm staring at John now. I don't know why. I'm trying to think of examples of other Hulks, but there aren't really any other. The 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 1980s TV show. Did you think any of those directors directed Austin? I mean, this is a this is a folly. This line of thought. I'm sorry. I, I should not have brought it up. <clears throat> Maybe people who previously directed Austin can direct Hulk. So Joe Wright. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Wynn Stillman, who's directed Love and Friendship. Love and Friendship. He would direct. I would love to see his Marvel movie. Smash and smashing. <laughs> Tom Bennett is the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Bennett, there'd be a good person to have on the podcast. Yes, he um, would. Yeah, well, we did. Show. We did, sort of. but as a, but, yeah, as a, as you a, know, as a drop in, as a co-host, if you will, uh, Tom Bennett as the Hulk. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I don't think I, I can't quite see that. I think it'd have to be the Hulk's, like, sort of, you know, slightly self-effacing mate. Just a really lovely. The Hulk is lovely. self-effacing, or Banner yeah. is at least. Yeah. He'd be fine. He'd make a good Banner. Mm. I think as Hulk, he'd, he'd just be, like, charmingly ineffective. Yeah. I think Hulk wouldn't quite smash. Hulk would... Apologise. Apologise for smashing, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he would be awesome. How did we get onto this? I have no oh, idea. Oh, yeah, Ang Lee. Ang Lee. Ang Lee. Uh, yes, of course, he was a guest that we were all listening to as um, that, that interview played. Uh, yeah, so there we go. The great Ang Lee. Louis Leterrier's Mansfield Park, though. Come on, Helen, you've got to admit, that's got something. I would watch it. I would yeah. watch it, yeah. Although sure. Mansfield Park is not the best of her books, let's be honest. They call me Fanny Price. <laughs> that was very good, Chris. <laughs> you remembered her And name. I didn't even Google it. You didn't. I just saw you not Google it. Take that, motherfuckers, <laughs> is another line from Mansfield Park, as I recall. Uh, should we have some movie news from the actual real-life world instead of our fevered imaginations. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, this, John, we this won't. This is so much better, though. Come we on. won't. And I'll tell you why. Uh, because it's time for uh, a word from our sponsors. Our sponsors are, of course, mustard.co.uk. Life's all about options, but when it comes to getting the right car, fan or motorbike insurance, how do you know you've chosen the right policy? Well, at mustard.co.uk, their online price guarantee means you get exactly what you need from some of the best deals on the market. When it comes to getting your great insurance, you can count on mustard.co.uk. Whoever you are, whatever you drive, Batman, Batmobile, maybe, get comparing and see if you can get cover for less with mustard.co.uk. God, the insurance on the Batmobile must be through the roof. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing about Batman. It just all begins to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The insurance policy must be in B. Wayne's name, right? <laughs> yeah. It has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, either that or he's driving it illegally. Oh, my God. Ah. So every time Batman takes a road, Shit. he's breaking the law. He's, breaking, he's become what he hates. I have to arrest myself now. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's a lethal weapon as well. Yeah. That bloody thing. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah. Does he have a Can license? I see your license and registration? We've <laughs> oh, been through this, Batman. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about some movie news now, and let's start with uh, some really sad news which broke last week after uh, the podcast was out, which is, of course, the, the death of the great Sir John Hurt, who passed away after a all-too-short battle with cancer. Uh, amazing, amazing career. Mm. Astonishing number of great performances mm. to choose from. Yeah. I think there's one moment that's in everyone's mind when they think about John Hurt, but... When you'd come to performance, I mean, you could have 100 people in this room and I think we'd all go for a different film. Yeah, absolutely. I just saw him recently in, in Jackie and uh, as, as a sort of a, a priest confessor to, to Jackie Kennedy. And he was stunning in, the, in that. I, thought, I think what's really fascinating about John Hurt is he was a brilliantly hissable bad guy. Like he could really give it heck as, some, as, as a bad guy, you know, something like V for Vendetta, for example. Um, but he could also be just so human and so sympathetic and so warm and charming. Um, and, and frequently, you know, even some some films, he kind of moved between the two. He's he was an actor of just astonishing versatility. And I mean, you know, he's everything. And he had great taste, I think, in films as well. Like a lot of his films are great, great work. I mean, Snowpiercer, Only Lovers Left Alive, obviously uh, Alien, which we haven't talked about yet, but I, I feel like we're going to The mm-hmm. Elephant Man. My God, he he just ran the gamut and then some. Nineteen eighty four, which I believe has uh, <laughs> some relevance these days. Mm. Um, he, Never heard of it. Yeah, uh, he's <laughs> he's very very good in that. I mean, yeah. But the thing about John Hurt was he had this. He was a born character actor. He had a face like a rumpled sofa, but there was something about him. There was something noble about that as well. And you would say bad guys. I actually think he was more. I mean, I was looking through his, his CV the other day. Mm. Um, because I was writing pieces about him, obviously. And it struck me. I mean, yeah, he has played bad guys, but I don't... But not as many as you think. Yeah, not as many as you think. I think the the thing that sticks out about his uh, CV, his resume, is the number of embattled noble heroes and great supporting roles that he has. I mean, the man was the elephant Mm. man, for example. I mean, he, he could just... And Winston Smith in 1984, and he could just tease out tears from your tear ducts and he was a, he was a wonderful wonderful guy yeah. Quentin Crisp he was so good as, as Quentin I mean, Crisp it's, as well it's, you know it's, it's probably not his most taxing performance ever but he's so charming in Hellboy 
yes. for example, you know, and you kind of needed that because it roots Hellboy himself mm. in something like a real world and a real family. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, God, the proposition, you know, he would he would take these risks on kind of new upcoming directors. Yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yep. um, just uh, surrounded by the cream of British ta- uh, acting talent and that. If you look on his IMDb page, uh, there's, there's maybe three or four years where he doesn't have any credits to his name. I mean, he's incredibly prolific and he keeps the consistency up, like six decades of work. And there are very few actors who can have that sort of consistency and have that range and have that sort of the variety of roles that he chose. Yeah. yeah. It's really impressive. 145 movie credits wow. across his career with three more to come, including Joe Wright's movie Darkest Hour. He yeah. plays Neville Chamberlain. I don't know. I, I assume he finished filming it because I know he was very, very sick towards the end. You can see it in Jackie. Yeah. When he shows up, you can see that this is a man who's very ill. Um, and he pulled out recently of that Kenneth Branagh play The Entertainer which was mm. on at the Garrick uh, you know due to ill health so it wasn't a huge surprise when this happened but he was an incredibly hard working extraordinarily versatile guy I met him a couple of times interviewed him a couple of times and he was exactly as you'd imagine yep. gracious and polite but funny with a sense a twinkle in those eyes of his and of course he had that wonderful voice oh yeah um, and there was just so much about him he wasn't a snob he would do TV he would do animation. He would act alongside Muppets and he wouldn't care. And storyteller. <laughs> and I, I think we have to that. talk about his, his great performance with an alien bursting out of his chest in Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Um, <laughs> of course. Oh, not again, he says. <laughs> uh, but which, just, just to have the, 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 the balls, the chutzpah to... Because a lot of actors would have just run from that. A lot of actors would go, no, 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 darling. I'm a serious actor. That was a long time ago. Only seven years, I'm a bit of But still. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, but he he embraced it, oh, he and and the, the interesting thing about the chest pressure scene um, is is that it could have killed his career, mm-hmm. and that's that's you know let's be honest about that. Yeah, you know, so many actors would have been completely overshadowed and typecast and pigeonholed. And hey, aren't you that guy? You know, by that scene, yeah. and he managed to survive. He survived that. He survived Heaven's Gate, which he made a couple <laughs> of years later, and he was just brilliant in everything he did. We haven't even really talked about Doctor Who. We haven't really talked about. Yeah. We haven't yeah. really talked about that scene in Alien. I mean, you know, I think Alien is just one of like it's extraordinary how many iconic roles he had, like Doctor Who. I mean, he was the Doctor for goodness' sake, the War Doctor, the War Doctor. I mean, this is quite a big deal. He was um, he was in Harry Potter, like for yeah. a generation of children. He is Mister Oliver in uh, Diagonally. Um, he he's sort of just pops up in all these iconic moments in cinema history. Mm. Uh, and he sort of does it quite almost casually. He just yeah. seems to just sort of occasionally, there he is, it's John Hurt again. And he's so reliable and so, you know, mesmerising to watch uh, with that amazing voice he had. There, mm. There's a great story that Kathy Burke shared on Twitter um, about being on set and Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy. And they weren't on set for very long, but Kathy Burt was just sharing a cab with him, I think, and just decided to say, look, do you know what, John? I, I Fuck it. I, I think you're fantastic. I've admired you and everything you've done. I think what you've you, your career has been fantastic. And he just grabbed her hand and smiled and said, well, what a delightful way to start the day. Aww. That was a really nice little story. And yeah, you know, I think that's, that sort of goes to show he sort of meant quite a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Mm, he really did. And there's so many great performances all the way. Midnight Express, we haven't even mentioned, mm. nominated for an Oscar twice. Last one was for The Elephant Man. Um, 
kind of seems weird he didn't get nominated afterwards but mm. you know so many great roles uh, The Hit Stephen Frears The Hit 1984 movie is really really good if you haven't seen that Terrence Stamps in it as well so is he a, a very young Tim Roth check that one out he plays a uh, conflicted rask well rascally is the wrong word but he, uh, a, a hitman with confl- conflictions shall we say um, really really good film anything yeah. else what, 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 what John Hurt film would you recommend people see if they haven't seen if they haven't seen well obviously if you haven't seen Alien then stop everything go and watch Alien um, not particularly for John Hurt though I guess we may, yeah we may have spoiled what happens to him <laughs> I, I think if you didn't know at this point what happens to John Hurt and Alien you've got bigger problems King Ralph I'll tell you what if you haven't seen Jackie yet I'd go and see Jackie he's only in, a, in one sort of scene that's said seen in two different parts but mm. it's a really lovely sort of farewell to him yeah absolutely John uh, I'd say Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy mm. Tinker Tailor Soldier. he hasn't yeah. got a huge role in that but I think it's just it's, it's he makes such an impression uh, and it's such a sort of quiet measured film that I think it's it's really it's something quite affecting I think it's a really good sort of showcase for his talents mm. John Hurt who passed away last week um Okay, so what else are we going to talk about this week in terms of movie news? Uh, well, we we were talking about the Batmobile earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some movement in the the Batman movie mm-hmm. that's been mooted for the new DC universe. Uh, ben Affleck was due to direct it. He'd been writing a script. Now it turns out he's not going to direct it. He's stepped away from the director's chair, though he will still play Batman. Um, which, I don't know, this does not strike me as positive news, necessarily. What do you think? I mean, it could be. Let's, let's, you know, let's be hopeful here. It could be just he's kind of realised the scale of this thing combined with actually playing the lead character, that's tough. This is not, you know, a crime drama or stuff, which Mm. we know he can direct himself in. This is a ridiculously huge blockbuster. And, you know, maybe it's just a bit more work than he wants to take on to direct as well as starring in it. So... That is entirely possible. I mean, his, he he did release a statement essentially saying that that mm. performing this role, he says, demands focus, passion, and the best performance I can give. And it has become clear that I cannot do both jobs to the level they require. Um, so he, he's going to help. He's going to partner with the studio to find a, a director as in, mm. in his role as producer as well. Yeah, but, yeah. It's uh... but you still you still can't help but feel a little worried that you know. Well, I guess we have to wait and see who they get to direct. I mean, mm-hmm. if they get somebody really exciting, I think everybody will be very happy. Uh, I've I've heard some just, I mean, I have to say, with the best will in the world, batshit crazy ideas of who could possibly <laughs> step into these shoes. Well, People saying, Denis Villeneuve, who's not going to be available for reasons we're about to discuss, um, but like David Fincher... I would be amazed. I would be amazed. And I think that's that's wishful thinking on a whole other level. But, uh, you know. I'd love yeah, to see a Fincher Batman, but I think, yeah, it's never going to happen, is it? I, there's a petition on the internet right now uh, for from some DC fans who want Zack Snyder to direct it, which, with the best will in the world, guys, you know, maybe maybe get some fresh blood in. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how Justice League pans out. But yeah. I think certainly some of the iconography that Snyder would bring to Batman, I think would, would, would work. But um, I don't know. I'm intrigued to see, obviously, that Affleck is still involved with the script. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you get that strange situation where... Yeah. You know, a director, an actor is saying lines from a script that he... 
presumably didn't think was good enough to direct. <laughs> no, I think I think they're still working on that. They're still working on well, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's not that's not the case. Yeah, so, and in fairness, like you know, it's not just. With a film like this, it's not just physically being on set acting. It's also like all the insane training he has to do to get to that ridiculous oh, size yeah. he mm-hmm. was, you know. So oh, it's, it's, he was yeah. probably doing another two or three hours a day on top of his mm. actual acting and fitting directing on top of that. It probably felt like a great idea at the time. Yeah. Star Batman, write the Batman, <laughs> direct the Batman, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then just you know what you wake up one day and you go I, I can't do this this is this is madness you need a lot of lemon and ginger to just say <laughs> where is he where is he <laughs> I'm Batman I'm Batman I mean that's that's got to take it out on you and then just say more lighting point the camera in that direction <laughs> I mean this that's definitely what directors do. <laughs> That's my understanding of how many, how many film sets you've been on, John. Point the camera in that direction. <laughs> I'm assuming that's that's what directing involves, right? Yeah, maybe. It's just just pointing. <laughs> just pointing. Okay, just, yeah. Just point the camera. Stand now, there, say things. Now, I really wish we had a director co-hosting with us right now. <laughs> I just, think they, I so, think, they, so they could agree with John. Yeah, they confirm that's exactly how it's that's been. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I think whenever we go on movie sets and they know that the press is watching, yeah. that they yeah. change it up so yeah. we can write about it. Make but, it a bit fancy. Yeah, but otherwise it's... It's very basic. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, should we move on? Yeah. Oh, probably best. <laughs> it's probably, probably, yeah. We've <laughs> listened to this as long moved on. I think our listeners have moved on, yeah. yeah. Um, this is something we've mentioned a couple of times already, but Denis Villeneuve has been confirmed to direct a Dune film. Now, mm. I have to disagree with your headline here, John. You said it's a Dune remake. Yes. I don't I think s- we know that. Yeah, well, I had some people on social media take issue with that, and okay. I'm, I think maybe I need to <laughs> edit that. <laughs> okay. Because it's not technically a remake of the, the 1984 David Lynch version. And also, it? it doesn't necessarily say it's directed. It's June. So what What oh, uh, Brian Herbert, son of the original author Frank Herbert, and himself an author of In the Dune series, has said is Legendary Pictures has signed the very talented Denis Villeneuve to direct the exciting new Dune series film project. Now, there are so many books in the series. I I have not read a single one. Right. Okay, so the idea is... It's a shoe shop. It's not. It is, but that's nothing to do okay. with, with the books. Okay. All right. So this is sort of uh, sci-fi so high it almost becomes fantasy again. Yes, it's planets, but it doesn't really have to be. But um, the idea is that there is an intergalactic civilization, an empire, um, and it is held together because uh, people can travel faster than light. But they travel faster than light using a spice uh, which comes from the planet Dune. Um, and... So the entirety of galactic civilization depends on this planet. And there's various intergalactic politics involving two warring families, which leads to one of them being put in charge of this planet and the son of that family who should have been a daughter it's all very complicated this is the one line pitch everybody <laughs> <laughs> um, is the fulfillment of a prophecy and sort of becomes uh, well that would be a spoiler anyway but I will tell you that one of the future books is called God Emperor of Dune so that gives you an idea okay. of where his story might take him um, nice low key grounded human drama it's a very low key grounded human drama um, the Spice Melange is is basically the big MacGuffin that everybody needs to have it's a question of who ends up controlling it it's basically that 
right? Um, and whoever controls this planet controls the spice. It's very, very difficult to adapt. I think we can say this at this point. Great minds have tried it. Great minds have, for the most part, failed. Um, David Lynch's film, of course, uh, is the closest anyone's come to actually, you know, creating it uh, and it's generally considered a terrible disaster although I actually <laughs> think it has much <laughs> to recommend by it. David Lynch himself I mean he's effectively yeah. disowned it yeah he has hasn't it yeah. uh, had a bit of a uh, renaissance renaissance it has and I don't hate it I find it quite entertaining but not yeah. necessarily always in a good it's way it's sting and a nappy it has it? sting and a nappy yeah. he's one of the baddies yeah. the Harkonnens Carl McLachlan Carl McLachlan is Paul Atreides bad. who's the son of this the family that take over the planet With Patrick Stewart very, yeah, very young Patrick Stewart. He's yeah. never been anything bad? Well, very rarely. Well, rarely. Well, sometimes. But not very often. Well, sometimes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but Jodorowsky tried it as well. Um, yes. uh, there's apparently, a, I've people. not seen it, but there's a fantastic documentary about there him is, trying yes. to make June, yes. Jodorowsky's June. And uh, yeah, he tried to mm. get people like Mick Jagger and Orson Welles in his mm. adaptation. And Orson Welles demanded like something like $20,000 an hour to appear. I mean, just sort <laughs> of, it was just sounded like the most ludicrous folly. It's, it's it was, yeah, it was pretty big. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel also did a, an adaptation of Children of Dune, which is the next generation. James McAvoy, we mentioned being a geek, starred in that because he's a huge fan of the series. That's right. It was one of the first um, things he did. And that actually did quite well. It got a couple of Emmys. It was very highly rated. But, you know, it still didn't quite capture the the epicness. It's but, an epic of epic epicness, basically, hmm. and it didn't always... But we feel that, that. Den, uh, Denis Villeneuve can do this because uh, yeah. he is, is pretty awesome. I saw someone, a um, few people actually, lamenting online, as people are want to do, mm. about how Villeneuve appeared on the scene with a bunch of original thought-provoking movies and is now doing a Blade Runner sequel and a, uh, a Dune series. Yep. I think... I, I have no problem with that. I have none whatsoever. I think uh, both of those franchises are extremely thinky sci-fi franchises. And um, a spoiler for the next issue of the magazine, we actually talked to Denis Villeneuve. What? And, I know. And, and he was talking we. about well, me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he was talking about his his love of sort of sci-fi and and you know his love of these kind of big ideas. That's a pretty big spoiler for an issue that doesn't go on sale until February twenty third. So get excited, people! <laughs> get excited. Uh, it's coming. It's coming your way. In that a while. 800 word piece. It's, <laughs> it's coming. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, I, I keep meaning to get into the books, and I honestly am I'm, I'm put off by the the uh, scope and the scale. It's just read like, the first one. Just stop there. It's really? Fine. Yeah. Okay. Just just leave it there. It's fine. I have seen the film, but a long, long time ago. Mm. There are giant sandworms as well. Yes. They're very big. What's next? Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn have signed on to star in a police thriller called mm-hmm. Dragged Aco- Across Concrete. That's going to be changed by the time that's... You'd imagine, yeah. Two tickets um, for drag. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bone Tomahawk's director, S. Craig Zahler, uh, wrote the script and is in the director's chair. And it's about two police officers played by the two stars uh, who are suspended when a video of their violent work goes viral it's plastered across the web and their income is suspended their friends are running low so they head for the criminal underworld Um, I am intrigued to see how they handle this at a time when police brutality is in the news but not in a good way I'm intrigued to make two brutal policemen the heroes of your film presumably or perhaps anti-heroes um Mm. And then to hire two of Hollywood's most famously sort of right-wing um, 
actors to, yeah. to play those two roles, which suggests maybe not anti-heroes, but heroes, is a, a, an interesting choice. I'm not sure how this one's going to play out. I'm excited about it. I really am. Uh, I think that uh, S. Craig Seller is a really interesting director. Bone Tomahawk, I think, might be a roadmap for this film could go tonally speaking his next movie uh, sounds really interesting as well it's called Brawl in Cell Block 99 it also stars Vince Vaughn who seems to be going through this kind of reinvention of Mm. himself as a as a tough guy of course he's in Gibson's Hacksaw Hacksaw Ridge Ridge. he's very good in that um and there seems to be a bit of a bromance going and I know Mel Gibson and I know that but the man still has that incredible mania and yeah. incredible gravitas and mm. charisma that I think will really work for this I don't think that these are going to be heroes these guys I think it's going to be down and dirty and dark and brutal and bloody really bloody I think you might be right and I very much hope you are yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it I think this, this guy is a real director to keep an eye on mm-hmm. and uh, yeah Intrigued. Uh, yeah. Mel Gibson's also signed on to star in the Daddy's Home sequel. Have you seen this? I have. Uh, alongside John Lithgow. Um, right, okay. And I haven't... What's that, Granddaddy's Home? I mean... They, they must be, I think they're the, the, the parents of... Okay. So, I have... Extrapolating, just guessing based on... <laughs> People's casting, ages. John Lithgow must be Will Ferrell's dad, and Mel Gibson will be Mark Wahlberg's dad. That's what I'm guessing. Okay, all oh, right. It would be nice if you swapped it. Well, I, I, I can I can make that work in my head. That's all right. I mean, it, it's interesting that the Melaisonse uh, is... Uh, is the Gibsonaisons? Gibsonaisons? The Gibsonaisons? Gibsonaisons. This doesn't really yeah. work. Yeah. Well... Anyway, uh, the, 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 <laughs> it's, it's happening. happening quite so fast. So, it's okay. happening. Uh, so very, very exciting news as well. Just broke this morning that uh, Karen Hardy, formerly of this podcast, the live podcast up at Edinburgh, uh, director, of course, talented director of The Hallow, yeah. uh, is going to be directing another project very, very soon. It is The Nun, which is a spin-off from James Wan's Conjuring films. Yeah. Um, but there's a scary nun There's figure. a scary ghost nun. And, it, and I mean, you know, nuns are pretty scary on their own. So yes. like a ghost nun is like, like exponentially scary. Yeah. Uh, so this is a spin-off about that and uh, I think it goes pretty soon so that's it's intriguing there are more spin-offs from the country than there are country movies <laughs> that, is, that, will, that, that will be true yeah, this yeah, will be the true. third <laughs> Conjuring spin-off and there have only been two Conjuring, two conjuring films yeah. two Conjuring Cinematic Universe the Conjuring Cinematic Universe <laughs> the CCU uh, it's very very exciting I know Karen Hardy has been trying to direct The Crow for a long long time and he's got some other irons in the fire so it's good to see him get behind the camera because The Hallow is very very good if you haven't seen it check it out. Mm. Anything else? Uh, we gonna live one films one quick thing we should probably mention: uh, the Han Solo movie started filming this week. Mm. Yes, uh, Chris Miller, the director, the co-director with Phil Lords, uh, tweeted an image of the um, the clapperboard with a with a nice caption: "Han first shot." Oh, very, very good, very droll. Uh, and we also found out from the clapperboard the the working title of the film, which is Star Wars Red Cup. And that led to a, a very amusing conversation in the office where everyone was scratching their heads trying to think, what's what's the significance of Red Cup? Is there some sort of line of dialogue in an early Star Wars movie? What does it all mean? And then we realised there's a company called Solo Cups and it's just a joke. They're Red Cups. They, yeah. make, they make Red Cups. It's Solo Cups. It's, it's just a joke. I was not there for that conversation and I'm kicking myself. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> something I really should have been yeah. around for. Um, so, we, yeah, we do have to race through some stuff now because um, we've got to leave but yep. um, uh, I will just say yes I see Helen's got a thing up here Nicole yep. Gibbon talking about uh, considering a role in Aquaman 
I just uh, just the headline. Just just yeah. let that sink in. We will say no more. Uh, yes, she she might play Aquaman's mother, Atlanta. 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 Atlanta of Atlantis. Yep. <laughs> um, she she was a member of the royal family of Atlantis. She escaped the kingdom for, uh, to visit the surface, like the Little Mermaid, uh-huh. and ended up falling for a lighthouse keeper. I know she did, but what Momoa. about the character Atlanta <laughs> in the hit motion picture? Hey, Aquaman. I mean, that's exciting. And James Wan, it's all good. So, yeah, um, and, uh, and the get downs, Yab Abul Mateen is up to play Black Manta, who's a baddie. Okay. Hmm. So we've got to talk about the film's reviews, but I cannot believe we haven't even mentioned this. Peter Capaldi's leaving Doctor Who. Oh my God. Yeah. Had we not even mentioned that? I'm okay with it. I mean, he was a good doctor, but he had terrible scripts, so I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. He was a good doctor, but he had cold hands. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is more than I maybe needed to know. And he looks, I've said this before, I think, but he looks disconcertingly like my Aunt Isabel. (laughs) It's so weird. I can't, as as he gets older, as his hair gets wider, I just... just keep wanting to get really rubbish Christmas presents from him. I don't. <laughs> Boots voucher. I'm bo- from Doctor Who. It's not even that. It's like you know, like you, you, she's my aunt. And I love her, but obviously, but she's the sort of person who would have given you instead of a Transformers toy, like you know, a Transposers toy. You know, like one of those <laughs> right. cheap ripoffs that they, you know, they so they go into a pound store and they go, well, I'll get that. That looks about the that right. That looks thing. fine. Yeah. Here you go. Festering resentment. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> oh, I hate Peter Capaldi. <laughs> no, he's, he's great. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit sad about it, actually. Yeah. And I will say this, I, I'm going to qualify this, with, despite the fact I have not seen a single episode of these done. <laughs> well, there you go, you because, see? <laughs> because... He's a, good, he's a good idea for a doctor, but he genuinely had just... Bad scripts. I'm sorry, I just didn't like them. Um, right. So I'm not I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, obviously. I'm going to really miss seeing him on the adverts for Doctor Who. Right. Because that's <laughs> the only time I've seen him. Oh, dear. Who's your Doctor Who? Who's your Doctor Who? Who's replacing him quickly? Uh, uh, Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. I think it's time for a, a lady doctor, right? I beg your pardon. We just call them doctors now. I'm sorry. I beg your pardon. Mrs. Doctor, is that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, son. No. Oh, you're all progressive with your politically correct views. Uh, Hayley Atwell. Oh, yes. Also mm. also acceptable to me. Yeah. Well, any the people you said. Uh, R.I.P. Agent good. Carter. All right. So time now for our last guest. Uh, he is a huge star, a great actor, and one of the few movie stars in the world with his own catchphrase, which is quite fine by us. Uh, he is, of course, Matthew McConaughey. And since winning his Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club, he's made a string of interesting choices, one of which is this week's gold hunting adventure caper gold. And he was talking to Johnny Pyle about that. Enjoy. Uh, We're here to talk about gold today. Yep. Now, I suppose of all the um, scripts that you must get, you must uh, look at lots of them and decide, you know, this is the one for me. So what was the one reason that you looked at gold and said, yeah, that's the one for me? Uh, This this character, Kenny Wells, at the center of this story, um... You know, like millions of people, a guy who's sort of not making it in the world, a guy who didn't get the ticket to the American dream, a guy who's at the bottom of the barrel and has to dig and fight his way out. Um, And this guy literally has a dream that he knows where the gold is and hawks a watch and takes a one-way ticket to Indonesia to go find it, and he he pulls it off. Um, Great character and a great story, the kind of movie that I want to see first when I'm – faced with 20 films to choose from yeah 
And I mean, I, d- I don't really know a lot about the um, the real scandal that's based on. So the, the real scandal takes place in the nineties, right? But this is set in the, uh, the, the early nineties. Was Briex scandal? It was Canadian yeah. scandal. Yeah, yeah. And do you, do you mean do you remember much about that that scandal in real life? No, uh, um, I did. I didn't know anything about it until I read the script and then did research, obviously, right, and found okay. out about it. Yeah, and um, uh, but it, I mean. Obviously, you've, how, much, how many liberties have you taken with that real story? Because it's not exactly the same. Obviously, well, the dates have changed. The dates have changed a little bit. We moved it to the late 80s. Um, we put Kenny Wells in Reno, Nevada instead of like, Calgary, Canada. Yeah. Um, Kay, the, the, the love story uh, between Kenny and Kay's girlfriend, she is um, fictionalized. We've created her as okay. a story point. Yeah. Um, but it is true that this guy, Kenny Wells... Um, chased down this dream he went and met a guy um, who's played by uh, Edgar Ramirez in this film Mike Acosta and they found gold yeah or did they anyway hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars were invested in this gold mine that they supposedly found in Indonesia and hundreds and hundreds of million dollars were lost I mean, it's an amazing story, and it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I suppose it reminded me a little bit of um, the big short in the way it all yeah. it's like starts to fall ap- apart and everyone starts to lose their money. But I mean, and it's, there's a real thing like no one checked. Everyone makes money and no one checks. It's a crazy thing. Well, you, you know, there's a great scene in here where, 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 where I'm on the phone, my character's on the phone with Mike Acosta, and Mike Acosta's over abroad in Indonesia getting coring equipment. And uh, Mike says, What are you selling? How are you making it? Because I'm hustling over $200,000. He goes, what are you selling, Kenny? And he goes, I'm selling you, man. Yeah. You're the story. Yeah. By the way, where are you right now? He goes, I'm looking at coring equipment in Kupang City. And I've got all these guys on the phone. They're all like, yeah. he's in Kupang City. Guys on the other, fin- other end of the phone are going, that sounds so exotic. Oh, my God. I don't God. know what it is, but Where's I'm excited, that? It yeah. just sounds great. I'm yeah. in. Yeah. And people, that, a lot of things are sold on the story. I mean, you talk a bit uh, just now about how, um, you know, we created this character and uh, we did this, we did that. I mean, so, I mean, how, what state was the film in when you came to it and then what did you do to develop it? And yeah. Well, it was pretty well written when we, when we picked it up. Stephen Gagan, who directed this, is also a great writer. Yeah. Um, he and I worked on the script quite a bit. Um, one of the great scenes that he added was the uh, tiger scene, which comes later in the film. Now, it's a rite of passage for Kenny. He's got to get a deal yeah, right. right. And until that point, Kenny has gotten away with making things happen by opening his big fat mouth. Either by putting his foot in his mouth or something and people taking that as him being an original character or something, something funny. Sure. And we got to that point and, it, and originally in the script, it was another scene where Kenny kind of talked his way into the deal. Yeah. And I was real clear, with, and Steve and I were very clear, like something else has to happen. This can't be just Kenny using his mouth to talk his way into it. Something, the stakes have to be raised. Yeah, we've, se- we've seen that, right? We've seen that. Yeah. And Steven comes up with that, with that tiger scene. And he's seen it, and I opened up at 2 a.m. one night, and I was like, that's it. And it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Well, I was going to ask about it, because, I mean, that looks like a real tiger. And you that look, is a real You tiger. look really close to it. I am really close to like it. does not look like a particularly drugged tiger. And that, and, that, and that sweat on my brow is not fake. I no, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous right there. Yeah. I'm not having to act I mean, scared. Presumably, like, it's safe. Well, here's the thing. But it's still you a know, tiger, that's, right? That's the great word, presumably. Um, it's still a tiger. And so he, the, the trainer's there. And, of course, I'm trying to, I'm telling, look, just tell me the, the, the straight dope. Or what, what, what could really go wrong? And how safe am I? He goes, well... I think you're safe, but it is a tiger. It lives to eat meat. Yeah. Um, it's also young and he's very curious. Now, if he gets curious and like puts a paw out, he may just be playing, but it could be 
not good for you. And I'm like, these are not very reassuring things. And I go, if he lunges, can you get him? And he goes, I can't hold him back from the lunge, but after he lunges, I can get control of him. And again, I'm like, well, what are we saying here? And he just looked at me in the eye and he goes, it should be okay. Just don't make any abrupt moves. And, um, you know, so I went in there trying to do my best Yoda impersonation, trying to say, dude, let me, let me get you in a trance and I'm going to touch you on the head. And, uh, you know, the other funny thing is we scheduled that as the last film to be shot in the movie. Well, just in case. Yeah, so, and I'm a producer on it, and I passed on that, but I remember going to the producers going, really clever uh, scheduling, guys, because for those of you that, if you don't know in film, you it's smart to put the scene that could be the most dangerous at the end, because if something does happen, you've got the actors, the rest of his footage in the can. Yeah. So you still have a movie. Right. Anyway, got out of it and okay. that's very noble of you, really. Uh, something. Anyway, it worked. Uh, and obviously, the other um, thing that quite a lot of people are talking about is... I mean, you, you lost weight for Dallas Buyers Club, but this time you do the other thing. You put quite a lot of weight yeah. on. I mean, I assume that's the more fun way around. Oh, putting it on? Yeah. A whole lot more fun. Yeah. But you've, yeah. you've lost it now. I mean, how long ago since you stopped filming? Um, nine months. It took right, me okay. six months to put it on, six months to take it off. I mean, because I, I would have thought that putting weight on was a much quicker process. Or did you just commit um, to getting off more? Well, I didn't. I... I, I you know, losing it, as I said, is not as much fun as putting it on. Um, but putting it on was harder than I probably thought it was going to be. As far as, like, I thought I could get up to 217 in two months. Yeah. But it took over five months. Right, okay. Um, Are you just not really committing to these pizzas? Oh, I did commit. I was eating as much as I could, whenever I could, and having a drink when I wanted it. And the beer and the cheeseburgers were great, and I never got tired of them. But it seemed like every time I would get to a plateau, like, get to 190, I'd hold up. Right, couldn't okay. gain weight. Then I'd get to 191, I'd fly to 199, and then I'd hang up at 200. Okay. And then I'd get to 201, and then I'd fly to 209 and get hung up at 210. Yeah. And it was the same way losing it. I would get hung up at the decade marks. Right, I see, I see. And you, I mean, and you seem fairly proud of it. I mean, you are nude in, or nearly nude in quite a lot of the movie. There's that great jacuzzi scene where yeah, you come yeah, out, yeah. that's that sort of fun, but you're in the I you're look in like a walrus. You're in your white pants, I look quite the a lot. The tidy whiteies, man. Yeah. yeah, those are specific to, those are Kenny Wells' underwear for sure. Uh, there is one, um, and I don't know if it's uh, uh, an intentional joke or not, but there's, there's a, Kenny Wells appears on a magazine cover, and the cover line is Fool's Gold, which is obviously one of your previous movies. Yep. Is that by, uh, by design? Is it just a happy accident? Happy accident. Yeah? Yeah. Once is. we saw it, I was like, oh, that's going to get a nod. Yeah, yeah. And it Absolutely, has yeah. Nod, yeah. So it's not Fool's Gold I want to talk about, but I mean, Sahara, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Do people I like Sahara too, man. You liked it. I, I love, there, love, there love Sahara. There are quite a few people that come and say exactly what you said. Out of all the films, they go, Sahara, man. And I've had people come go, y'all should re-release that film because it didn't get its fair due. <laughs> I don't think it did, did it? I, mean, it, I don't I, think it did. You know, it got sort of... Uh, Penciled in as as like a, a failure, but it really wasn't. It made like sixty three yeah. million, but it cost a lot, right? And the number to make a second one was seventy million. If it made seventy million, we were going to make another one, and so it got sort of thrown out there as a box office failure. But it actually sort of ended up being even money, right? We didn't lose money on it, um, but I like it too. I, 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 I it came on the other day and I watched quite a bit of it. I was like, oh, this holds up. This is That's good. A, fun. I think it's a really fun movie, and I think the. Um, you know, we should be having Dirk Pitt 4 this summer. I should be looking forward to 4 or 5, because there's enough books. Oh, there's heaps of them. There's heaps. But you know what? 
I don't think Clive Cussler, the author of the Dirk Pick novels, I don't think he was happy with the movie, right. um, how it went. So after the film, there was a bit of a, a tussle about, yeah. you know, will there be any more? He didn't want to get behind him, that kind of thing. Sure. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's a shame. That's a shame. Because, well, I mean, if you look through your filmography, one of the things that you don't really have is a franchise like a Mission Impossible that Tom Cruise yeah. keeps on going back to, and that seems like a shame. Well, that would have been one if it would have made 70, maybe. Yeah. You know, um, who knows? Um, I've done the first of the Dark Tower series. Yeah. And if that succeeds... That would this would be my first that would be my first franchise right okay meaning if it succeeds we'll do a second one if the yeah. second one succeeds we'll do a third um, so this is my next step into a possible franchise okay is the Dark Tower novels uh, Matthew thank you very much for your time you're welcome I enjoyed it okay so that was Matthew McConaughey uh, it is now time to talk about this week's movies starting with Gold in which Matthew McConaughey teams up with Edgar Ramirez to search for gold in Indonesia does he find it what happens when he does. Why is his hair like that? So many questions. <laughs> Helen. Okay, so gold. Our hero, if that is the word, is uh, a miner, Kenny Wells, who's played obviously by McConaughey. And he finally makes his money. He finally makes a fortune when he finds some gold in Indonesia, which he mines with the help of Michael Acosta, which is Edgar Ramirez. Um, but the problem is basically then trying to keep it. He has to uh, n- negotiate the, the local regime, the Saharto regime. He has bigger rivals in America who are trying to get in on this on this lucrative find and of course the feds to deal with so it's a sort of a it's a kind of a wider story than just a kind of a a, a minor made good kind of tale um the problem, I guess, a little bit is you feel a bit like you've seen this before. Now, it's from Stephen Gagan, who's usually a very, very solid director. He's done great things before, like Traffic, like Syriana, which were very much sort of, you know, thrillers for growing ups, very kind of rooted in real world politics in the same way that this is. But this one just doesn't seem as carefully analysed, maybe, I think is the way to put it. Like, it's it's just a little bit too focused on... Uh, on Kel- on Wells himself and on his character, there's a lot of stuff about his daddy issues. There's a lot of sort of attention paid to McConaughey's efforts at transformation, you know, sort of shaving his head and growing a gut and all this kind of stuff. And it just kind of gets in its own way a bit. It feels too much about the performance and not enough about the actual story. And the story, it feels like we've seen a bit already in the likes of American Hustle or The Wolf of Wall Street. It, it feels like, okay, we, we know that the world of high finance is high stakes and this kind of huckster is going to have a difficult time there. So it's it's not as kind of revelatory as I think it wants to be. Um, and, and also Matthew McConaughey, you know, yes, he's good, but he's the whole film. Like there's no room to breathe apart from... Matthew McConaughey and I think that kind of takes away from it a little bit Ramirez is actually quite good um, although he still isn't out of the woods for having made that Point Break remake um, <laughs> but it's it's just not quite enough to, to kind of sustain it through so um, yeah because McConaughey's good enough uh, it, it's a three star film but it's not it's not more than that and it really should have been on paper this should have been a four or a five star sort of Oscar contender Would you say it's only alright all right, all right. <laughs> I guess that's essentially what the three star means. But you know, um, to quote Matthew McConaughey's other catchphrase, "Just keep living, Matthew. Mm. You'll have another four star soon, I'm sure." <laughs> okay, so three stars then for gold, which, as we always say in the podcast, is a gold-clad recommendation. 
Uh, next up, we have Loving, the latest movie from Jeff Nichols, which stars Joel Edgerton and Ruth Negga as a mixed-race couple who fall in love in the 1950s in America at a time and a place that didn't have a lot of time for that sort of thing, and they were banished from their home state. Uh, let's talk about this one. Hell's Bells. Okay, so this is uh, another uh, true story. This is uh, the story of Virginian couple Mildred and Richard Loving. Um, Mildred played by Ruth Negga and Richard by Joel Edgerton. And they were uh, married in the, I think, early, very early 1960s in Virginia. But at the time, it was still illegal for people of different races to marry. So they, they fell foul of, of the local law and somebody shot them, they didn't know who, to the, to the local sheriff and they were actually put in jail, brought up before a judge. And the compromise worked out was if you plead guilty, you know, they'll show you some clemency and they basically had to leave the state in order to live together. So they had to leave their homes, their families, their jobs um, to live together. They moved into, I think, Washington, D.C. And... Uh, and, you know, especially uh, Mildred was, was kind of miserable there. She didn't want to be raising her kids in the city. She wanted to be back in the country. She wanted to be back with her folks. Um, and so life was rather difficult for them. And finally, they had enough. They went home. But then they had to fight to be allowed to stay in their home state. Um, this led eventually to the Supreme Court case, Loving versus Virginia, um, supported by the ACLU. They kind of, they, they sued essentially for their right to be married. You know, at this point in the 60s, you know, it, these laws were not supposed to be on the books anymore. And they, they successfully argued um, that, you know, marriage is a human right and, and that they should have that right. But, but in a weird way, this is not about that court case. Uh, this is a very, very closely focused story on two people um, and on their love story and on their relationship and on their family. And I think that's both the strength of the film and at times for me a little bit its weakness. I did want just a little bit more of the meat of this case. I wanted a little bit more of that kind of explanation of what exactly happened and, and how it happened and what the arguments were. Um, but at the same time, it's the, the focus on these two is powerful because it, it keeps reminding you that these are not abstract issues. These are not highfalutin, you know, civil rights issues that are divorced from real people. These are the lives of real people that are affected by this. And, and in that sense, it's, it's enormously important that you have two such great performances at the heart of this. Um, Ruth Negga has been kind of on the verge of breaking through for a little while now. Uh, she was great in Preacher, for example. She was really good in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. way back in the first season. And she is stunning here in a role that's really not... It shouldn't be eye-catching on paper. It's not, you know... She doesn't get great lines or great speeches a lot of the time, but she does so much with so little, and she doesn't overplay it at all. I think it's a, it's a stunning, stunning performance from her and really subtle. Um, Joel Edgerton has a, probably a slightly less kind of obviously sympathetic role because he's the kind of... He's the guy who finds it hard to talk about his feelings. He's the very sort of t stereotypical, you know, man's man... Um, who who doesn't want to deal with any of this? Who just wants to keep his head down, get his work done, and and not really deal with it? And it's clear that she's in some ways the driving force of the film, but at the same time, she isn't shouting or bullying or even talking loudly. You know, she, it's, so it's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. It's beautifully underplayed, um, and I think that's really impressive. This is obviously a, a Jeff Nichols film, who's kind of told all these tales rooted in the South and and has, I think, such a great eye for the local culture the local landscape it looks beautiful you know but it's but it's a it's a beautiful approach to it because it does base you 
so closely in their experience and not just, you know, sort of the abstract issues of, of the civil rights movement. Not abstract, but that's the point. It's not abstract. It's it's very mm. real. Um, so we gave this uh, four stars. Like I say, it could have done with just a little bit more of the civil rights aspect, just just a tiny bit to kind of um, to kind of give it context. But as a portrait of a of a marriage under stress, it is um, it is beautifully done and great, great performances from the lead couple. So four stars. And last but not least this week, we have Don't Go Anywhere. Seriously, we have a three-hour German comedy. (laughs) Selling it. I know. But honestly, this is well worth your time. It is Tony Erdman, John Nugent. That's the latest. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Go on, John. Tell us about Tony Urban. Um, Yes, so Tony Urban, as some people might xenophobically state, a German comedy is something of an oxymoron, but (laughs) but in this case it really isn't. It's it's one of those films I don't really want to say too much about because I think it's, it's, it's a film that I think going in blind a little bit helps the experience. Uh, but just very, very briefly, uh, we follow this middle-aged man called uh, Winfred Conradi, um, who's a, a divorced piano teacher. Um, he's His dog has just died. He's grieving over his dog, and he decides to travel to Bucharest to visit his slightly estranged daughter. Um, and this is a man who has a taste for pla- practical jokes. He's sort of like the German Jeremy Beadle, let's say. <laughs> and uh, he Horrifying. adopts my, yeah, multiple personalities. And one of the personalities or characters that he, he he adopts is this man called Tony Erdman, where he puts on ludicrous wigs and fake teeth and tries to surprise his daughter. And, uh, and, and yeah, enacts practical jokes in an attempt to reconnect with her, but also maybe just to satisfy his own sense, sense of uh, sense of humour. And... I mean, that's perhaps all you should know. It's it's it is three hours long, and and it is a, a farce. It's absurd. There are some truly bizarre moments. There are some truly hilarious moments. But it's also extraordinarily insightful. It's uh, for a comedy. It's not just um, you know a, a sort of three hours of of wacky slapstick. There's mm. some really interesting things to be said about uh, you know gender and Europe and. At the heart of it, this very intimate father-daughter relationship. There's incredible performances from the two leads, from Peter, I'm going to say this name incredibly wrong, but I'll try anyway, Simon Iszczyk, maybe? Yeah, sure. And um, Sandra Huller, who's superb as his daughter. Um, It's, yeah, it's surprising, it's funny, it's moving, it's touching, uh, and it's it's very much unlike any other film I think you're likely to see this year. So we gave this five stars, which is a huge recommendation. And I think um, it's been getting huge amounts of buzz mm. across the festival circuit over the last sort of 12 months or so. A few critics, polls and, and, and magazines have named it the best film of 2016 because it came out a little earlier in Europe. Um, so this comes with huge acclaim and, and critical buzz. So you really should, if if you're after something a little bit out of left field, Tony Erdman could be the film to see this weekend. I mean, who doesn't want a three-hour German comedy? Absolutely. Come on. Also out this week is the final chapter, Honest, of the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, we gave Reckon. that Ginny Reckon, precisely. Uh, although it didn't do that well in the States, so maybe it is the final chapter, we'll see. Anyway, Millie Ovovich and uh, Ali Larder once again fighting a whole bunch of zombies uh, and trying to get to the bottom of a plot 
which is frankly so labyrinthian that to even begin to relate it would to be <laughs> to take us into next week's podcast. Uh, so there we go. Resident Evil, the final chapter, we gave it just two stars. Such a shame. I think, though, I think this entire franchise has had nothing but two stars. So oh, you have wow. to admire mm. consistency, the consistency, consistency of that. Um, I thought somebody described this last one as a trash to piece. I mean, they, <laughs> well, to they really know what they're doing. The now. last one was, the last one made less than no sense throughout and then finished with the most ridiculous ending to maybe any movie I've ever seen. Wow. Um, so I'm, I haven't seen this yet, I have to confess, but I am super hyped mm. to see it. <laughs> Should we have a marathon? I, let's, let's do a marathon I, around, I, I around thought you didn't gaff. like doing marathons Chris they're too t- too long and tiring you said your legs hurt yeah I know but oh you it, mean a movie if marathon if I'm more sedentary then I can I can get through it I see yeah I so see. we'll see we'll see let's do that let's do that let's do that. what are you guys doing Sunday I'm let's come around to my house washing it's fine. my hair really yeah is this because I like to watch films in the nude it is, isn't it? It's, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a factor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is this because I apply a layer of lube oh. with every every Resident Evil film? Is it because it's because of that? It's just like we didn't want to say anything. You've only got one small armchair that you insist everyone is sitting on. I don't, it makes me feel quite uncomfortable. The DFS are still delivering my sofa. It's taken a while. All right. So you just have to go with the program. Yeah. And that's it for this week's <laughs> podcast. It's in association with mustard.co.uk, the insurance comparison site that helps you save time, money, and effort. Join us next week for more film related fun. We'll be joined by this is a double whammy the Lego Batman himself, <gasps> Will Arnett. Good. Oh, yeah. And the great, the legendary. Denzel Washington also wow. good star and director of Fences that is a cracking lineup. I don't want to get ahead of myself with my reviews but I saw that and that guy can act can he? yeah <laughs> really? I know I'm the first person to notice but no. really seriously really? yeah Denzel Washington is a revelation <laughs> you've heard it here first breaking news on the Empire podcast uh, Denzel Washington either, either of those guys would be a, a good Doctor Who Mm. Uh, and don't forget our live pod we'd love to see you there uh, and see you in our 250th episode in style but until then it is goodbye from Helen diddly it's goodbye from John goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to get the Resident Evil box set a can of WD-40 what? what? some snacks (laughs) it's going to be a fun time Helen 2 o'clock my place uh huh I'll, I'll leave the door open. Yeah, well, you usually do, Chris, and you've had complaints from your neighbours well, as I a result. I have to leave the door open because I'm usually so so covered in lube that I can't, I can't get up off the sofa. Mm. Armchair. Deck, it's more of a deck chair, really. Yeah. It's, more, it's a beanbag. Yeah. Hope to see you there. Okay. You keep open. <laughs> oh, God. What's happening? Why, where did it all go wrong? And hey, if anyone wants to know, uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye.